Hey everyone and welcome to Livingston First Church. We're so glad you're joining us today. We really hope you're ready to hear a great message from the Word of God. So prepare your hearts, prepare your ears, and get ready to receive a blessing from the Lord. Be blessed. You're here and that you dwell among us. We love you. Amen. Okay. All right. Okay, so we're talking about apostolic vision. We, uh, I told you we were going to do that, so I gave you the heads up. How many of you know what the apostolic is? Just raise your hand. Do I need to, to cover? Okay, that's good. Uh, so Ephesians 2.20 says that we are God's house built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Jesus, who is the cornerstone. Okay, so Jesus is the cornerstone. Without him, there is no house. When they built houses in ancient Israel, the cornerstone was it. Without the cornerstone, nothing. You understand that? But then on top of the cornerstone, you would pour the foundation, and everything else would be built upon that. When we say we're an apostolic church, we're not just saying that we roll around on the ground laughing and joke about playing with snakes. Okay, what we're saying is that the doctrine that Jesus revealed to the apostles and the prophets we believe to be true and gives us vision to expand his kingdom going forward. Amen. See, a church with apostolic vision is not just a church that meets on Sundays. Do you understand that? Right? God still is appointing apostles and prophets today. Right? And he's still giving them permission to bring revelation into his house. But the point isn't to gather the church. The point is for the church to build the kingdom. And as a church, we need an apostolic vision in order to move forward in where God is leading us. Okay, do we understand that? So when we say we're an apostolic people, what we're saying is we believe in the apostolic ministry. We believe in healing and deliverance. We believe in uh, the, the laying on of hands. But we also believe that this meeting is to equip us to go out of the church house in order to expand the kingdom of God in the places God has put us. Okay. That's almost as important that we understand that, that apostolic vision causes us to go and do. All right? Whenever we reduce it to come and stay, we've actually perverted what apostolic vision actually is. Okay? So when I say we're we're talking about apostolic vision, what I'm saying is that we have a vision bigger than just our meetings that God has given us as a body in order for us to go and build the kingdom in the places he's called us to, like Appalachia. We good? Does that help clear it up a little bit? Make a little more sense? Okay. God invites us as a body of believers to engage with him and receive kingdom strategy and vision for the places of earth that he has called us to. Okay, so we come here, we engage, and we wrestle with Holy Spirit. We allow him to baptize us in his vision for the world he set us in. Because you are following at G- because you are, most of us, I think, are confessed followers of Jesus, that means that we're going to be changed by his love, okay? So because you follow Jesus, if you're actually following him, you're going to go from glory to glory. That means that you're going to change. You're not going to be the same tomorrow that you were yesterday because his love is transformative. 
Some of us go through rough seasons where we actually make ourselves God and we pretend that we're following Jesus, but we're actually following ourselves. But at the end of the day, you need to be able to look back and say, Lord, you transformed me. Your love did a work in me that I could not do in myself. And if God is transforming you by the power of his love, glory to glory, that means that his love should be able to move through you and transform the world around you as well. See, sometimes we need to ask ourselves two very simple questions. Is God's love transforming my life? And if it is, is how is it impacting the world around me? It's important. You might not be following the Jesus you claim to follow if love is not making an impact in you and the world around you. It's an important question to ask because sometimes we get so busy and inundated with church activity, we forget the point. And if we forget the point, we actually become useless for the kingdom of God. Apostolic vision is understanding that everything you do that is birthed out of love has an eternal impact in the world around you. Let me, let me try that one more time. Everything you do that is birthed out of love has eternal impact to the world around you. So you may feel insignificant, weak, not useful, uh, just not the best that you think you could be. But if you're operating from a motive of love birthed by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, everything you do in order to honor that love actually has an eternal ripple effect. Jesus says, when you get a glass of water in my name, it echoes in eternity. That's apostolic vision. In Jesus' love, there is nothing insignificant. Even the smallest acts of obedience and yielding to God's love bring tremendous fruit for the kingdom. I've taught this before, but I want you to go to Mark 3 with me real quick. And I apologize if you remember this. If... uh, if you do, just pretend you don't. This is the first time Jesus used the word, uses the word apostle in the New Testament. <clears throat> how, many, how many of you know that the word apostle is used more times in the New Testament than the word prof, or, uh, pastor? Did you know that? Think about that. Okay, verse 13, Mark 3, verse 13. Jesus goes up on a mountain and called out to the ones he wanted to go with him. And they came to him. That's good. When Jesus calls, you probably should come. (laughs) Verse 14, then he appointed 12 of them and called them to be his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. So this is the first time Jesus uses this word apostle, and he uses it to commission 12 very weak, broken, insecure young men to build his kingdom and the world around them. Now, how many of you know Jesus didn't create the word apostle? How many of you know that? You raise your hand. It's a Roman word. Apostle was a position given to a Roman officer from Rome by the emperor to go into a newly conquered nation to assimilate the nation that was conquered back to the nation of Rome. So imagine with me for a second, because Rome is conquering all these different uh, realms and nations and people groups. These people who were conquered, do you think they maybe were a little bit bitter about the people who conquered them? Yeah, probably. I would imagine so. So the emperor would send out an apostle 
or an ambassador is what is a better word for us, an apostle to go into this country and begin the process of cultural reformation so they could better assimilate into Roman life. Okay? Now think about this with me for a second. These 12 dudes that Jesus is calling apostle, who do you think they were conquered by? Rome. Right? Do you think when they heard the word apostle that they're like, oh boy, we're apostles? No. They're probably like, apostle, are you serious right now? In fact, they probably knew some Roman apostles who had came into their village to try to force them to be like Romans when they were Israelites. So this word apostle, this title, this position, probably caused a few of these guys to be pretty offended at Jesus. And even more so, it probably caused their insecurity and their feeling of insignificance to rise up within them. Because Israel was a conquered people. And these 12 Israelite young men, they didn't know Messiah as who Jesus presents himself to be. They knew Messiah as what they were told by the Pharisees and their fathers before them. That he's going to ride in, chop off the head of the emperor, and lead us to victory over the Romans. So when they heard this word apostle, I assume, I'm just, I'm adding this in. I I think this is accurate, but I think they were probably like, what are you talking about? And Jesus says to them, in my love, the thing that was used to conquer you will be the place I bring you victory. You may feel insignificant. You may feel overrun. You may feel broken down. You may feel like you have no value to give. But if you say yes to my love and to my commission, I'll make you more than a conqueror. See, what Jesus was doing was he was putting his finger on the victim mentality that all of us carry in our lives. See, I can't help the circumstances. I can't help the cards that I was dealt. I can't do anything about the circumstances that I'm in. I'm a victim victim to my circumstance. And Jesus goes, no, you're more than a conqueror. And when you're in love with me, your circumstance become victim to you. So he calls them apostle. And it probably freaked him out a little bit. (laughs) See, despite what the news says, despite what you see happening around you, despite how you feel, despite what you think you're capable of, you've been given victory. And apostolic vision is learning to walk in victory despite what you see. See, the thing about us as Americans is we're so used to building in comfort in our life. You want to know what a bad week looks like for us? When the washer, air conditioner, and fridge break all in the same week, you freak out, don't you? I do, too. I'm not, I'm not above that. <laughs> I do, too. That's a bad week. And then the car breaks down. God, why are you against me? That's what we call a bad week. It's true. See, the enemy is, is not ensnaring Christians by popping out of bushes, bushes and being very scary. He comes to us with small little snares that slowly and slowly close the noose around our neck with comfort, by comfort. See, you weren't made to be comfortable in your kingdom. You were made to be a victor on earth through the kingdom of heaven. 
C.T. Studd said it like this, a British missionary, C.T. Studd. He said, some Christians want to live within the sound of a church or a chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of the gates of hell. Think about that. See, we're so used to running away from problems, from pushing things away from us that we're just uncomfortable with, from making sure that our little empires are intact, that we miss the point of why we've been sent to where we've been sent. Here's the truth. What you run from will consume you. What you confront will be consumed with the love of God. This is apostolic vision, to see the most broken and perverse parts of culture and not avoid them but rush into them, consumed by the love of God, equipped with the power of the Holy Spirit, expecting cultural reformation through God's work on the cross. That's apostolic vision. Instead of avoiding what I don't like and what doesn't make sense, I confront it, expecting Jesus' love through me, to bring transformation in the same way it did in my life. We, the American church, have gotten so focused on fighting for our rights and comfort, we have lost our zeal and desire for building the kingdom. This is not a political message. I just need to say that because I'm not on your team or their team. I'm on Jesus' team. Okay? And I'm not saying that any particular political leader is evil, could be or couldn't be. But what I am saying is that every time an evil leader has been appointed to a place of authority, it's always been to be a doorway to revival. It's true. How many of you know God has not stopped appointing kings and leaders in the nations. Daniel 2.21, he appoints king to high places and removes them as he will. Okay? It's his job to decide who holds authority, not ours. We vote and we do what we can and we participate in the systems he's given permission to, but at the end of the day, it's him who appoints kings and leaders. And if that's true... That means we have one choice, partner with him or stay stuck in ourselves. (laughs) Let me show you. When the wicked are in power, it's the greatest door for revival in church church history. In Moses' day, there was Pharaoh. In King Xerxes' day, there was Esther. In Nebuchadnezzar's day, there was Daniel. In Jezebel's day, there was Elisha. In Herod's day, there was Jesus. When God appoints a wicked ruler over a nation, it serves two purposes. To expose and discern between what is right and what is wrong. It's a separation of the, of the sheep and the goats. But then also, too, to be a doorway for ap- the apostolic to rise up and bring revival into that nation. <laughs> But see, if you're looking for what you want or what you're comfortable with, you'll miss that opportunity. See, we get so inundated with yelling about the things we want, we forget to yell about the things God is doing. 
We have allowed the enemy to make our cry a political cry instead of a kingdom cry. And we need to repent for that. There's never been a time in human history where persecution to the church has not caused the kingdom to expand. Don't fall for the trap. There's no person, ruler, leader that could ever stand in the way of what God wants to do on the earth. The question is not, God, what in the world are you, are you doing? The question is, where are the men and women of God who are willing to stand up and do what God has called them to do? Hmm. Apostolic vision is a little bit like investing in the stock market. Who's ever invested in stocks before? Hey, got one. Cool. Good for you. <laughs> the stock market is mostly emotional. Did you know that? It's emotional. Good stock investors understand that to be a good investor, you have to have control of your emotions. Okay, what's the, what, what, what are you trying to do? You're trying to sell low. No, you're trying to sell high, buy low, right? Okay, now we're awake. What happens is when the stock market trends down, what do people do? They start to, to sell because they get afraid. They, be, they have an emotional response to what they see, and they try to get out of the situation before anything worse happens. It's called a bear market. When the stock market trends up, what do people do? They try to buy. They try to ride the momentum. They get emotionally involved and they try to get into something that they see is headed in a good direction. That's how people lose money in the stock market. So there, I'm not a financial planner, so <laughs> do your own research. That's how people lose lots of money. Emotionally disciplined investors know that when the stock market is rising... That's a bad time to buy stock because you're going to buy that stock at a premium based on the emotion of the masses that are, pi are pumping up that stock. An emotionally dis disciplined investor waits until everything looks like it's going the wrong way, and then they get in. The kingdom of heaven is the same way. If you want to see the kingdom of heaven expand in your life, then you have to get over what you don't understand. If you want to see the kingdom of heaven expand around you, you have to be willing to go into places where it looks like it's broken and disappointed. Come on. If you want to see God move in your life, you have to be willing to not allow your emotions to scare you from what you see, but say, Lord, I don't get it, I don't understand, but because you've called me to it, I'm investing what I have into it. That's apostolic vision. See, when things look bad, it's actually a good thing. Going back to another message. <laughs> for those who are seeing the kingdom be built. It's not for everybody. 
Some of us need to just build our houses by the church bell or by the chapel. And there's no judgment in that. I'm not trying to say one is better than the other. What I'm saying is for people who are saying yes to what God is doing, you have to understand that it's not about what you see, but about what God said he's doing. Okay? Go to 1 Corinthians 13. Verses 11 through 13. When I was a child, I spoke, thought, and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly like a puzzling reflection in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Unfortunately, in American church culture, we water these verses down and use them only for weddings, right? It's the only time you ever hear anybody preach on these, on these verses is when somebody gets married. But how many of you know that Paul didn't write these scriptures so that we would have something to say at weddings, he didn't do that. He was actually teaching the Corinthian church how to minister from a place of love. A few chapters before, he talks about the gifts. And then he talks about the apostolic ministry and how everything flows from that ministry. And then he says something kind of profound. He says, guys, growing up as a believer, becoming a mature believer, is not trying to pretend like you have everything figured out. The reality is, is that we actually don't have the full picture. We don't actually understand everything that's happening. Things are like a, a puzzle or a blurry image we see in part but not in whole. See, that, that's kind of profound. Because the way we have it wired in our brain is that as we mature, we, we understand more and more until we have it all figured out. But the truth is, is as you mature in Christ, you understand more and more, I know nothing. <laughs> and that's important. Because if you don't understand that you know nothing, then when things get hard, you try to find reasons to explain to God why they're hard. And you create religion. So Paul is explaining to a church in Corinth that was so used to witchcraft and idolatry and, and having all these little things to, to plan and perfect the outcome of what they wanted. And Paul goes, guys, that's not going to work out well for you. You need to mature and understand that sometimes things are just not going to go the way you want them to go. And that's okay. See, a mature believer can understand that disappointment happens in life. That sometimes God, will, God is going to tell you to do something and you're going to believe for an expectation and not actually see that thing come to fruition. But a mature believer also takes that disappointment and allows the Lord to touch it with his love so they can be restored back to what they were created to do. See, three things last forever. One of these things is the greatest. It's a symbiotic relationship. When we fall in love, 
our faith is restored. When we're walking in faith, we hope and expect for things that people of the world don't expect for. But it's all rooted in love. So let me ask you a question. What has God called you to? And where have you been disappointed? And are you allowing him to touch those places like he did those 12 apostles on the mountain when he called them apostles with his love? And are you allowing him to realign you back to the apostolic vision he called you to? Or are you trying to build a home and a nice quiet place on a cul-de-sac next to a church? See, if we're an apostolic people, then we are built for the mess. We're built for the mess. If we want to see God's kingdom break forth in our lives, we have to be willing to do what we don't understand. We have to be willing to go where no one else will go. We'll ha be, we have to be willing to be broken when nobody else will be broken. There's plenty of churches out there who have a nice buttoned up two-hour service where the, the preaching is perfect, the worship is perfect, the live stream is perfect, and everybody has a great time before they go to KFC. But there's not many who will say yes to the apostolic vision of allowing themselves to be broken before the Lord. Lord, I'm insignificant. I'm insecure. I don't understand what you're doing sometimes. It doesn't make sense. I don't like it. But because it's you, I'm going to say yes and allow your love to transform me from glory to glory to glory as you transform the world. You guys understand that the worst day of those 12 guys' life was the day Jesus was nailed to a cross. I'm pretty sure on that same day, there was like a dance party in hell. They were weeping, mourning. What was the point of that? We just followed this guy for three years. It doesn't make any sense. When was he going to like kill Herod? I don't get it. What's going on? Why is there still evil people in power? I left my family behind for this. I don't have a job. I'm behind on my bills. Why, God, why? And the Lord says, because I so love the world. And because I love the world, if you're willing to let go of the disappointment and say yes to my vision, I'm going to turn the tomb of death into the womb of life. See, I don't know what everybody's personal situation is. I know we're all going through stuff. I understand that life is, is not going to be easy for any of us. The point is not to try to make your life easy. The point is to encounter God's love so you can be realigned with the vision he has for your life. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, I ask now in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would begin to stir up and provoke these places of disappointment in our life. Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would give us grace
to allow your love to poke and to prod at the the places we've swept underneath the rug, the, the places where we've said yes to you and been disappointed, the things in life that didn't work out the thought that the way we thought they'd work out if we did what you said to do. Would you poke them, Lord? And Father, as you reveal these places to us, would you baptize us in your love? Would you baptize us in your love? Would you baptize us in the love of the Father? Just hear the Lord saying, I know it didn't work out the way you wanted. I know it didn't go to the plan that you had. But say yes to my love. I'll restore you. Don't worry about yourself. I'll take care of you better than you could take care of yourself. Father, and as we are restored to your love, Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that we would say yes again to the apostolic vision. We would say yes again to the gifts that you've put in us. We would say yes again to the ministries you've hidden in our hearts. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to leave the altar open for Thanks so much for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that the Holy Spirit truly ministered to you through this message from the Word of God. If you'd like to know more, look us up at livingstonfirstchurch.com or follow us on social media. And we look forward to seeing you in person soon.